I was in a very shattering experience in Uganda a few months ago, Jack Miller writes. Lost in the dark in a small boat during a storm on Lake Victoria, the whole thing seemed senseless, going from bad to worse, without my prayers being answered. In the blackness and the rain and the utter misery of the cold, my last comfort was the sound of the Johnson outboard motor that I asked God to keep it a-going. And I'd hardly asked for it when off it went. We were adrift, very literally powerless, directionless, and exposed to who knows what, including pirates who prowl the seas of the Ugandan lake. There was just God, seemingly battering us. I don't know how to interpret it all, but I do know that as the water sloshed over my feet, there was a kind of message in it, one that I didn't like. It was simply that God was still a God of infinite love and compassion, but not according to my ideas, but to His. And I had to see that I was not in any way in the same league with him. Only as I submitted my proud heart to his bigness and majesty and will could I really experience his love. I don't know if any of that makes sense to you, but it comes down to God's insistence that he is God in my life. And only in my accepting that can I know him. What this has led me to see is a second thing. It is the necessity of stopping, being patient, waiting, listening to God, writing the circumstances that overwhelm right where I am tempted to feel left out and hurt. There I meet His grace as He meets me in silence. I need the silence. I need the time without easy answers that I may see that the God, I may see that God's fatherhood is not simply something for me to use, but it's a love of his heart to my heart. And it's the willingness to walk with him no matter what is happening. This morning we find ourselves in John 17, even as we continue in our sermon series through the Gospel of John. And we've come to a point now that the terrible weekend is before Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking in these last number of chapters that we've been looking at to his disciples, his intimate band of disciples. He is no longer engaging in what we would call his public ministry, but it's Thursday, and that's what it means when it says the hour has come. It's the the Thursday of the Friday crucifixion and the Sunday resurrection. It's the terrible weekend that is before him. And in John 17, on that Thursday, the author, John, one of the disciples, allows us a sacred moment. He allows us to overhear and observe Jesus praying. Beginning with Genesis 
4, chapter 20, verse 26, where it says that Seth, the third son of Adam, called upon the name of the Lord, people from that point on who are the Lord's people called upon the name of the Lord in prayer. They called upon the name of the Lord in times of crisis. And God always answered. But he didn't always answer with a change of circumstance or an answer to specific questions. But he always answered with himself. And the big idea this morning that I want you to take away is this. That it is glory that will get you through. It is glory, it is glory that will allow you to not only engage and to face the battle that we find ourselves in, but also it's glory that will allow you to endure and it's glory that will allow you to be the victor. But what is that glory? What is the glory that will get me through? For some of us, we could say the the glory by definition is my strength. I can muscle my way through it. Or my mind, I can think my way through the issues that I'm facing. Some would say that it's the relationships that I'm in. As, As long as I know that those people are with me and in my life, I can face these things because I don't face them alone. Jesus Christ, in this prayer, sometimes known as the sacerdotal prayer or the the priestly prayer, the high priest, the one priest over all of Israel, speaking and representing the people to God and then in prayer, hearing God speak and then turning and representing God to the people. The priest being the the one who is holy and pure as a man can possibly be by the sacrifice and the washing of the blood of the Lamb. This man stands before God and he prays. And here is Jesus, known as the high priestly prayer, and he begins to pray. And I want you to see in our time in looking at this word, I want you to see what the glory is that Jesus finds to face this terrible weekend. The glory that he finds is the glory of the Father. The glory that will allow him to face even his death is that he can bring glory to the Father by the sacrifice of his life, by the mission of his life by the trajectory of his life that appears to end at the cross, he can say, I will even die. I want my life to bring glory to the Father by laying it down for him and for others. And that glory, that glory allowed him to face the cross and the grave for us. What is it that you're facing? As we go through, I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I seeking, in the trials that I face, am I seeking glory in the same place that God, through Christ, sought glory? Christ himself facing this huge battle 
sought glory in the Father by making him big. And that's, that's the way I define glory. Glory is making something big. Jesus' glory of the Father was he made the Father big. The Father will glorify Jesus by making him big. The Holy Spirit, we learned earlier in previous messages, the work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus in our life, make him big in our life. Are we seeking glory, making the Son big in our life? Or that's what will give us the strength, stability, and the peace to face anything in life. Well, without further ado, let's look here into the scriptures. And first of all, we do want to engage and define the glory of our life. We want to identify what is the reigning glory in my life. Look to verse 1. It says that Jesus had spoken these words and he lifted up his eyes to heaven. We have seen this earlier when Jesus stood before the grave of Lazarus. When he faced death on another occasion, that he didn't bow his head in prayer, he raised his head in prayer. Now, there is everything proper about us humbly posturing ourselves with bowed heads. But notice here that Jesus raises his face to the heaven as if he would communicate it is not simply an inward search that I'm looking to for answers. And I am not simply looking in myself and, and, and with full of worry and fear, but I'm raising my eyes to see God who is in the heavens. He did that at the grave of Lazarus. He also did it when he broke the bread for the thousands in the Gospel of Matthew. It says that he raised his, hand, his eyes to heaven. He visualizes he mentally, mentally visualizes God in the heavens where he reigns because it's true. He immediately, as it were, says, I'm on earth, but you're in the heavens. He makes the Father big. He says, you know, I'm beginning my prayer here, even as he does the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be my Father. Holy is my Father. Huge is my Father. Greater than any other is my Father. Immediately, can you see how that begins to position us in prayer? Instead of simply coming to bring a very anxious list of petitions, where we begin already in our prayers to recognize the God that we're speaking to. And notice that it says here in the Scriptures that he did speak to him. It doesn't say he prayed to God, but he spoke to him. The best and most accurate definition for prayer is conversation with God. And the scriptures, over and over again, we have over 50 lengthy prayers that are recorded and over 100 smaller, shorter prayers that are recorded. But we have relatively nothing that tells us how to pray. We have Christ in Matthew 6, teaching the disciples upon their inquiry how to pray. Jesus, you, 
you're effective in prayer and efficient too. How do you pray? You know, the priests pray in the temple, but we, we ought to pray. You've encouraged us to pray. And we want to speak to the Father like you speak to the Father. We want to pray. How do you do that? This, Jesus tells them in the Lord's Prayer, which is a model prayer. But my point is that throughout the Scriptures, the Scripture shows us men and women who pray. And it records their prayers. But not so much tells us how to pray, though we're urged to pray. So the way we learn how to pray is by observing those who pray. And how much more we learn to pray with effectiveness and efficiency, honoring to God by observing Christ in prayer. And notice that he raised his face to heaven. He begins, he sees God reigning. He sees God as more powerful over all circumstances than he or anyone else. And he begins to speak to him conversationally. We also see here, uh, oh, by the way, do you know, did any of you ask the question, how did John, the writer, know that this is what Jesus prayed? I did. I mean, because we know that, that the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, during that time of prayer, they were going to sleep. I mean, was John like a stenographer, and he's like, oh, Jesus is praying. Okay, give me a, hey, somebody give me a quill. Give me some of that ready-made ink, and uh, give me one of those papyrus that really curl up on you. And it's pretty, it's a lot of words here, but Jesus, could you repeat that part? Or maybe I need to get a little closer. Was he a stenographer? No. We certainly know that the writers of Scripture were men that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that as they recorded, and John records these words some 30 years after the ascension of Christ. So that's a long time. How did he know and remember? Well, certainly the agency of the Holy Spirit would lead these men to write. But I'm convinced as are others, that when Jesus Christ did return in his resurrection during that 40-day period prior to ascending visibly to go and sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, that he spoke with his disciples. And they asked him questions. And every question was answered. And I believe that burning, a burning question of John was, John, Jesus... As you knew and as you saw that terrible weekend coming down. I mean, you know, it's one thing for something disastrous to just come upon us in a moment. But you saw it. It was the mission of your, it was the trajectory of your life. You saw it coming day by day by day. And on that Thursday, what kept you from running away? What kept you running away from the, the, the whip and the spittle and the rejection? What, what kept you from running away when all of us would run away? What would keep you from running away? And I believe that he would say, well, first of all, I spoke words. I had a conversation with God. 
And as I had a conversation, it was a conversation where I lifted my eyes up as if to see his eyes. I was not going to be someone so much that would look inside of myself, but as I would look beyond myself to him, and I would see him there, and then I would speak. And the way I spoke was, the very first thing I said was, Father. And that's the word for Abba. Papa. Dada. It's not the, the word for, it's not Patrice, such as patriarchal. It's Papa, it's Daddy. Newbine, in his commentary on the word Abba here, says, it is the most tender and intimate word that a child could use. It contains in itself all the substance of the new relationship to God which the death of Jesus was to make possible for sinful human beings. If you go to Galatians chapter 4, in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, we read that in the fullness of, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a son. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. In other words, as he prays, and as he has taken this posture of raising his eyes and to speak to God the Father, he says, you are not simply God of the heavens, but you're my Father. You're the tender, trustworthy, intimate Father. You will not allow me to face what I will face alone. And later, he says that again. He says, you're my Father. And we know, because of that work on the cross, for those of us who believe, then we too can practice this same posture. We can, as it were, raise the eyes of our heart the eyes of our heart, heavenly word, and not simply a bowed position or a cowed position, but a confident position. And raising our eyes, we can speak, and we don't have to have formula, 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 excuse me, formal institutional words. We can have a conversation from where we are. For we're coming as a child, to a father and we will be heard but notice finally that the glory that he addresses up front is a singular glory and he begins his prayer even as we must begin with God in mind with a singular prayer saying I want to make you big in my life I want you to be big it changes, therefore, at the very start of our prayer, it changes, therefore, our prayer at the very start. 
so that when we start to pray, we start with the idea of how is even my prayer and how are the things that I'm going to ask for, how can they come under him to bring him glory? So that instead of just saying, our Father, hallowed be thy name, I know you're holy, you're God, that's great, now let me get to my list. So that basically we treat God as if he's a, either a divine complaint department or the, the ordering and purchasing agent that we've got to place our order with. We take, as it were, on a scale, we take all of our anxieties and all the issues and all the stuff that I'm so worried about. We put all that there. But we start with his glory. And his glory is him and his work. Or as one man said, the glory of Jesus that we are to see is both his perfect life, his perfect life, and his wounds, both given over to us, both applied to us by our merely believing, our merely acknowledging that his life was without sin and perfect, by acknowledging that he died a death, he should not have died, but I should have, and then receiving both of those on my behalf. By saying, I am unworthy, but he is big, and he is worthy, and my life is not perfect, but his life is perfect, and I should die the death of a sinner. But he died in my place. That is glory. That is his glory. And as we begin to recite that, that on the scale outweighs our anxieties such that if I can contemplate such love, such love as this, oh my soul, that these things look different in the light of his love. They must have purpose, though I cannot always identify that. They, they are not, they're not to be wasted, for he's a father. And the son would not have any of those things in my life except that they would continue in some fashion to bring them glory and they be for my good. Brian Chapel, and I recommend the book heartily, has written a book called Praying Backwards. Transform your prayer life by beginning to pray in Jesus' name. And he writes this, the, principle, the principles of praying backwards do not require us always to say the words in Jesus' name prior to our personal petitions. While there is nothing wrong with such a practice, it is not a magic formula or a secret password. Praying backwards is an attitude of the heart. To pray backwards means we back away from making ourselves, our wishes, or our wants the primary concerns of our prayer. We always put the purposes of Jesus first. We echo in our heart, if not in our actual words, the attitude of the psalmist who prayed, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Psalm 115, verse 1. 
ask in his name for the glory. That for ourselves and for others. Brian Chappell says that we tack on at the end of our prayer in Jesus' name. But consider this. Consider praying as you begin your prayer in Jesus' name. That you begin as well as you shall end in his name. Here in the scriptures, John makes much of that name. He says in verse 11, Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction. The name capitalized there is his name. The name of Christ, the Messiah, the priest who interceded for his people at the cost of his own life. In just a few moments, we're going to come to the communion table. And at this table, the Reformed tradition is that we do not see Jesus Christ as a dead memorial in the sense of the bread and the the cup represent a fallen hero in battle. Let us remember him. No. What we're called to remember is that this bread and this cup are alive. And the mystery that takes place of when we take of these elements is, is that we're taking our hero, the glorious one, the one that has conquered us and our enemies. We are taking him inside of us. We are taking him, even as he serves us with himself, so that we now, as Peter would say, we are a chosen nation. We are a royal priesthood that we too can now take up and pray even as Christ spoke to the Father, we can speak to our Father. And as He made the glory of the Father and His name big in His life, we will make His name big in our life. And therefore, when we ask In Jesus' name, we're putting that name first and foremost over every issue, over every petition that we bring to him. Now, it is not wrong. Indeed, it's very right to bring our petitions to him. But we need to come as those who are putting it in the name of Christ. Let me give you two things that we do when we do that. Number one, we're saying I'm presenting my petitions, I'm presenting these issues to you in prayer. Father is my Father. I'm presenting these things to you, not in my name. There's nothing to recommend me. My name is persona non grata. My name is insignificant. I'm small and I'm sinful. But not that name. Not that glorious name. That name, to speak the name of Jesus Christ, is to see every visual of his glory. It's to see his perfect life. It's to see his walk among men. 
It's to see Him, to teach the way to the Father. And then it's to see Him lay down His life that we might believe and be received, not simply as forgiven ones, now to go our own way, but as adopted ones, forgiven and received as children. It's that name that I pray. I see that name that I raise as significance. Secondly, when we ask in that name, we are defining God's glory to be that that we wish in our life to see us through. We are saying that I want what he wants. When we pray in that name, we're saying, I'm not only praying in that name, but his character, that name is mightier than me. And I have come under that name. In other words, imagine an ambassador for the United States going to a country. That ambassador speaks from the president and our Congress. He speaks for our nation, from our nation. That ambassador is not saying, you know what, I really don't know or care what they think. Let me tell you what I think. No. When you ask in the name of Christ, it's what is your will? What is your desire? How can any of these issues make the Father and you big in my life? And you might begin to say, well, you know what? That means my life becomes a lot smaller. That means my life begins to diminish. And that would be true except the Father uses those things in our life to show us that these other glories are so inadequate as given enough time they fail us. And that His glory is my life. His glory in my life defines me and gives me purpose and meaning. Now there's a critical choice that we all have to make. And many times we have to make this choice repeatedly. It's not simply a once-in-a-lifetime choice. And that is, what is the glory that fuels my life to help me, particularly during challenging times? What is that glory that I go to to give me strength? What does your prayer life look like? Do you find it hard to pray? Or do you even pray at all? Is there just a big hole in the donut, that your walk with God, oh, I'm there on Sunday morning, I even read Christian books, and I, I read some Bible passages, but I just don't, I just don't do prayer very well. And I just kind of leave that for the elders and the Sunday school teachers and the more mature people, but I just don't really do prayer. I would submit to you that you're not praying because the Father is not very big in your life. And there's something holding you back from making Him big. Maybe it's distrust. I've prayed before, Pastor Phil, and nothing happens. I don't get, I don't get the kind of answers that you talk about getting. Well, maybe you're on the scale, maybe your anxieties and your petition is all that you present instead of the Father and the Son. 
and seeing them in all their royal beauty and glory. When we pray, what we're saying is, God, when you're bigger in my life, you're the center. When we pray, we're saying, God, you, you so made me, and you as a father so crafted me and so designed me that if I don't bring you glory and I give that glory to other things, I begin to disintegrate. I begin to lose my identity. I begin to lose my meaning. But when I start to put you back in the center, now let me give you, I know I'm long, but let me give you a quick illustration. My washing machine. I have a new washing machine because the drum went out. That took a little while to go. But we would put in a load of laundry in the washing machine and it starts to go around and then all of a sudden you hear this bang, 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 bang. You're like, oh, oh, somebody run, run, run. Turn off the washing machine. So we turn off the washing machine and we'd rearrange the clothes because they'd all kind of gotten bunched up. So that instead of going around it had gotten so unweighted that it no longer was allowing that drum to stay centered. So it just it got louder and louder, and eventually it beat up our drum. The moon. If the moon, in its independence, decides to not go around the glorious sun anymore, it's going to disintegrate. It's going to be out of orbit. Your life. God created you. He made you and he is so proud of you. He adores you. You are his glory. You are his workmanship. You are his craftsmanship. And what's more, through Jesus Christ, you're his babies. He so adores you. But when you begin to give glory to other things, when you don't respond to him, our life begins to get off center and the drum begins to bang around and then we begin to make up petitions. Lord, what's going wrong? I got financial issues. I got relational issues. I got emotional issues. I got anxiety coming out my ears. And the Lord says, I'm not at the center anymore. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. And start by calling me Papa. Start by taking your eyes off of these and looking how you can make me bigger in your life. And you know how you make me bigger? We might think, oh, well, this is so... Is he, is he like saying, praise me, praise me, love me, love me, love me? No, he's saying, you need to do this. Because as we begin to recite his glory, it strengthens our confidence because we begin to recite how much he loves us and has always loved us. The depths that he went to to gain our love and our sonship, and us to be his daughters. And he begins to grow so big. These other things begin to pale. So Jesus, he shows us how to pray even as he prays. And he shows us how to seek the Father's glory even as he seeks the Father's glory. And he shows us how to ask and to make much of that name as we pray. Oh, I pray that we, as a congregation of two rivers, that our prayers would be more and more like this. And I only ask for seven days. 
in the next seven days, would you consider praying, privately praying, somewhere with the posture of a raised face and open eyes to God and to begin to recite who it is that you see there. What do you know to be true? What do you know of Jesus? And as you begin to recite those things, I pray, I pray, as you begin to recite his glory and his character and his deeds, that the Holy Spirit will zing your heart to say, and it is all for you. Now, what do you want to ask me? What's your petition? Oh, well, I've got these things and I still want to ask them, but having you to face them, wow, that's really what I need. Let's pray. Father, I do pray this morning that you would teach us once again how to pray. We certainly, Father, need to be prayerful people in the life that we live. It's hectic. It's anxious. Father, it's frightening. But may we be able to face a terrible weekend. May we be able to face our own death. May we be able to face life with you. So would you focus and arrest our hearts once again in affectionate prayer as we would raise the eyes of our heart and we would see you. And we would see you in all your glory and that for us. For in a way that we cannot yet comprehend, we are your glory. We, through Jesus Christ, your sons and daughters, are what you, the Father, take glory from. And how you have won us and we are yours forever. Now may we glory in you, even as we learn to pray in this manner of Christ. And pray in his mighty name we do. Amen.